Welcome to Creative Innovators with Gigi Johnson. Yep, that's me. And I am excited to bring to you great people from all over the world who are making changes, breaking things, and remaking them around various creative industries. So bring us your great innovators and we'll bring them to you here in the Creative Innovators Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to look at not just one creative innovator, but a fabulous trio who has launched not just the management company IndiePop, but also the independent label Independent. So please enjoy the conversation about how to manage a creative team collaboratively with Carlo Fox, the CEO, Ben Willis, head of strategic relations, and Joshua Andriano, head of new talent for both of these companies who have become a a three-headed creative innovator working together. So enjoy their conversation about how they work together and why they've created a new company together. So IndiePop started as a, as a business that was formed to sign unsigned artists that we thought were really creative and really cool that were a little bit left of center and different than most artists trying to give a platform to artists that yeah didn't really fit fit inside the box but made phenomenal alternative pop music and that was created because we all love music and that was 2007 2008 the first act that we signed collectively was a group called the cataracts out of the bay area and they were kind of like two white guys making electronic pop music and rapping over it before the whole like LMFAO, Far East Movement sort of thing. And they were just total, total outcasts and left of center. And while we were doing really, really well in the Bay Area, it was really hard to sort of have that move out of that, out of that bubble. So we moved the boys to Los Angeles and in the first two years of that move, they wrote and produced a song called Like a G6, which became a global phenomenon. And that kind of opened the doors for us to be in business in the real music industry. Please tell me how you guys met. Me and Josh were dating sisters, which we both eventually ended up marrying. Both Josh, of those- are you agreeing with the story so far? Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Is accurate and not yet controversial. I actually, I actually think specifically, Ben, the first time I met you was at your wedding. Is that correct? If, I, if we're, if I we're think going it back was like to right, either right before the wedding or, or like a couple days, but like the wedding week, the wedding yeah. week. Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah. So, so me and Josh sort of met that way, and uh, our relationship has unfortunately outlasted the marriages. And, and as we, as we, so, so me and Josh have been together for for a bunch of years. Yeah. We started the business back then. And I met Carlo on the set of the cataracts video shoot baby, baby at a, at a venue called the cellar in the Bay area. That's how I met these two. Just to give some context to that. I grew up in the Bay area in Berkeley, California, and after high school, went to San Francisco State University, where I studied something completely unrelated to the music industry. But I think very relevant, especially considering everything that's happening right now with different movements within social justice and a lot of other really important social and political issues that are happening. So I majored in sociology. And after that, 
decided to move to New York City in 2004 to go to law school. Around that time, around the time of that move, just before then, that's when me and Ben met when I was kind of headed to New York to continue my journey as a, as a law student. And so that's how that happened. And then, you know, fast forward a few years, like Ben said, Carlo comes into the picture and, and the Three Musketeers were forever formed after that. <laughs> music? How is music in that part of your life? I think music has forever been a part of my life. And I mean that in a way that is not meaning to sound cliche. It's like, there is no separation. I grew up DJing. I grew up just interested in the music and the culture and everything that that represented. It's something, it's just, it is a part of me. So the explanation of where music came from and, and why I'm focused on it now, I, I, I don't know if there's anything where there was a light that got switched on, but I will say I did go through a point in my life when I recognized that I was possibly doing something that felt slightly against the grain. So after law school, after working in New York as an entertainment attorney and like dipping my toe in what that was, I knew super early that I needed to pivot and I needed to focus on something else. And when me and Ben connected and we decided to form Indie Pop and pursue artist management, which in hindsight, was artist management. We didn't even really know what artist management was. We just knew that we wanted to work with creative people. We wanted to, we knew that we wanted to help creative people realize their dreams. We knew that we wanted to be entrepreneurs and business owners. So I think that recognition going through that process and going through that journey of recognizing what feels good inside and then saying, hey, this might not feel good. And then pivoting to something that does actually feel good. I think that that was one of the most important parts of my life so far. Carlo, how about you? Is there music deep into your bones somewhere? Or Yeah, I mean, music has been an important part of my life for a long time. I was a DJ as well and have been interested and passionate about music. But I think as it relates to my journey in business, I think since I was a teenager, I was trying to figure out how to make a life in a business out of working in music. And I don't know, I didn't know exactly what that meant. When I was like 17 years old, I got a van and bought a bunch of speakers and started renting them out to to like local raves and underground parties and, and things like that. And then it kind of progressed from there. And I did several different things over the years until we all kind of met and, and found this fit and been doing what we've been doing. But I don't know if I, I like had a calling or something, but I just kind of felt like I knew that I, that's what I was going to do is, is work with creative people and, and work in this world. And, you know, it took a lot of trial and error to figure out how to make that actually work. I tried a lot of things and failed. That's just kind of what I knew and kept, kept trying to do it until it worked. You know? How about you, Ben? What's the precursor music side of all this? When I was uh, six or seven years old, I was given Michael Jackson's Off the Wall, which I listened to until it wore out and I had to buy another one. And so, and so for me, I knew the minute I heard off the wall, I was like, this is something that, that makes me feel differently than any other thing I've ever been a part of. So for me, music was, that was that moment, probably like six years old. So when you guys met, we have, we have 
dating siblings. And then we have connecting with Carlo. How did you guys know that you were the right people to be partners and moving together? Was there specific incidents or magic to it or arguments over it? Or what were kind of the triggers to start working together? I can tell you what my trigger was. (laughs) Me and Josh were managing the cataracts and we met Carlo. And uh, one of the boys in the group was like, hey, man, like, we have a really good friend. His name is Carlo. And he really knows how to do like social media stuff. <laughs> I remember being like, cool. Like it was when MySpace was super popping and, and that thing started to work. And Carlo knew how to do that thing, which I didn't even really know what that was. And and we met and we all hung out and we clicked pretty much immediately. And then after working together for a few months, that was before the cataracts, we had moved them from the Bay Area to Los Angeles. Somehow Carlo was like the perfect fit as our as the third partner to work on this project together. And he had some insight on things that we really didn't know too much about. And I think that like, I've been working in the music business before that for about 12 years. The fact that I have two partners that I trust completely and wholly with everything that we own together is pretty amazing. And I felt that feeling with Carlo. So I felt that like, oh, this has to be the person that we work with. That's how I remember that. So for the long journey that's been indie pop so far, how have you guys chosen to be creative together? And how have you figured out how to work best together? It's a good question. Who wants to go first? I'll go. Yeah. I mean, I think that we've over time learned to operate in our own lanes. And I think that as we've as we learn to do that, I think is where we really learn to operate harmoniously and to add value to each other creatively. And that didn't necessarily come naturally in the beginning. I think in the beginning, a lot of times we would all do the same things. And sometimes it would be for ego reasons, or sometimes it would be like, we don't know who's supposed to do what. Or sometimes maybe it would be, we were all excited and wanted to do it. So a lot of times what would happen is we would all do the same things and be involved in the same decisions when there only needed to be one of us. And I think that over time we developed the trust to say it doesn't matter if Ben does it or if Josh does it or if I do it. We all trust each other that we're, we're capable and we, we trust each other's you know judgment, both kind of creatively and as business people. And so I think that maybe halfway through our journey so far, maybe six years ago, we started to realize that and started to operate differently. And I think that once we did that, we started to realize that creatively we could actually accomplish more than we could on our own because we would complement each other. And I want to say something to that. So I think that, Carla, you bring up a really good point about when we first started, we were kind of stepping on each other's toes and like we all wanted to be, I don't know if it was ego and I actually don't know if it was just disorganization. We all wanted to be in the picture at all times. We all had to go to all the meetings. We all had to (laughs) kind of talk to everybody at the same time. We had to all be on the conference call. And then that changed and we split up the responsibilities. But then I think there was like a further evolution where we all realized that there's certain things that we're not so good at and that there's certain things that we all really excel at. And so there was kind of this natural order that occurred where Carlo, not only are we like separated now and I'm doing this, Ben is doing this, Carlo's doing this. We have our teams underneath us. Etc. We're building our business. Um, we're trying to create a mature business. But we're also realizing that we're actually good at certain things. And those things that we're not good at, I think we've been blessed to have partners. I have, I'm blessed to have two partners that hopefully 
and usually are good at those things. So Ben is like an amazing artist manager. So certain clients, he's, he's amazing at. Carlo's amazing at kind of strategy and business development. Actually, I have no idea what I'm good at, but uh, no, I'm joking. Um, so, so we're able to really rely on each other. So there's this, this, this separation and then there's this reliance on each other. So I just wanted to add on to kind of what Car- the point that Carlo brought up. Have there been times in the past where you've had to figure out or disagreed on creative decisions, whether it's looking at artists that you'd want to work with or deals where you'd had to figure out you're laughing. Yeah. <laughs> this no, there's this, an occasional no, thing. There's disagreement all the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Like every every 15 minutes or so. <laughs> <laughs> how, do you, how do you deal with it and whose spidey senses uh, get priority? I know for me that these two, if I start to basically just throw a fit, they kind of just let me be. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like but no. Or they think that they let you just be. Yeah, maybe, maybe they don't. Maybe they don't. I mean, Carlo did. I even called Carlo out the other day. I said, you're trying to trick me to believe in something that I don't believe in by wording it, how you're wording it. And it was like really funny. It was like a really yeah. funny moment. But like. But I think it yeah, worked. I think that. Yeah, no, I mean, I just called you out on exactly what you were doing. I didn't, I, I, I knew exactly what was going on. Like, you know what I mean? But it's, but it's funny. Like, I think what, the reason why we work really, really well together is because there is no ending ego where it's like, well, then I'm doing this and this is what it is. We all give each other the room to breathe, to accomplish the things that we want to accomplish. And I think that like having that in a partnership is pretty rare. You know, there is never, there, we never leave a conversation like, whatever, then I'm not going to do that. We pretty much allow each other to, to live. Like for me, I really like to sign underdeveloped, not popping acts that I think could eventually have a real, a real upside. We're now 12 years into our business and we don't need to do that, but I still like to do that. And these guys give me the, they allow me to do that because we don't have to yeah. do that, but I find real value. I, I find that's what makes me happy. Yeah, we you give know, them grief, you know. but we let them do it because it makes them happy. And what Ben, what Ben does is if we don't agree with it, then he just uh, uses brute force so that he ends up being right. <laughs> and it actually, that technique usually works. Like if we don't like an artist and he really loves it, then he'll just do it on his own and do everything he can to prove us wrong. And, and it's actually worked a couple of times. <laughs> Maybe now's a good chance to say, hey, Gigi, just delete that last 15 seconds and don't publish that. No, um, do not delete that. We need to keep that. Um, I'm going to loop that and put that on I, Instagram. I want to say, say that like the decision-making process, specifically on a creative level, I think is really special because we do have a super democratic business. We do talk a lot. I think that we do really share ideas, and that's that's part of kind of the strategy and the way that we manage the business. So. If there's one person saying like, yes, no, yes, no, that's, that doesn't really exist necessarily in our business. It's really conversational and it's really like group decisions. And me, Ben and Carlo have pretty deep discussions about the artists that we choose to take on, like the creative direction for the business, kind of what our voice is, who our community is, what our messaging is, what our business stands for. All these things are discussed at length with the intention of really understanding our business so there's not there isn't one person necessarily out of the three of us that are at the top making uh yes or no decisions. it's very collaborative and i wouldn't personally want it any other way i think that that's like as a partner in the business it's like it's nice to sit here and say like yeah like i love working for the business but it's actually like a very wholesome in my opinion 
compassionate place to exist with everybody. It's kind of remarkable, especially me having experiences previously in the corporate world, uh, working as an attorney and also working within the film industry prior to uh, becoming part of Indie Pop. I've seen other techniques of business management and it's like oil and water. At points where you've needed to make a decision to grow the business and take on additional risk, has that been a smooth journey or were there hiccups along that road? You know, as a business, we have been lucky enough to sort of bootstrap things and do things without bringing in a bunch of third parties to provide resources. And because of that, we've taken things at what I feel is like a natural pace. So if we don't have money to like hire a bunch of people to grow, you know, we don't have like uh, partners that are like, oh, yeah, here, let's like expand really quickly. So so I think that it's allowed us to learn what works and what doesn't. And there's been a lot of times along the way where we wish we had that person like in our corner that could make money not be a problem, right? But but we haven't had it. And now when I look back in retrospect, I think it's a blessing because it's allowed us to grow at, uh, you know, I think at the right pace. So I think that we're always thinking about how do we grow? How do we make what we're doing bigger and better, you know, both creatively and financially? It's just kind of natural. We all know what like our long-term vision is, but we also know that like things kind of happen in their natural time. You, you guys have grown r- organically or rhizomatically or whatever, so that you haven't had to have other people in the mix. Early on, you know, early on, we brought on some partners super early on in the mix and probably four or five years into that, we bought them out. And yeah, that was a mistake for sure. So we learned from that mistake and by by luck or by doing the right thing, we've had a few hit records under our belt that's generated enough income for us to really grow our business. You know, if you want to talk about where we're at now with independent, yeah, this has been a financial launch that we've done out of our own pockets. And, you know, we've we've flirted with the ideas of having investment, flirted with the ideas of bringing more partners in. But I think after doing that and going around to talking to a bunch of, not a bunch of people, select few people, what we realize is that, and again, we had to go through this process to learn it, is no one's going to value us as much as we value ourselves. So for us to go out and sell a quarter of our company or 10% or 50% of our company to get this new business off the ground, we realized really quickly that it wasn't just worth it. So we're going to just have to do the same thing that we did in the beginning with Indie Pop with Independent. And I think that was like a really valuable lesson. And I also think that like a lot of times we have to put ourselves through this process to then come out at the end and say, okay, well, I'm glad we did that process. So now we know exactly what we're going to do, you know? So why start a new company now? I mean, we're talking in August of 2020. Mm-hmm. We're in the midst of among the biggest dislocations in the music business, though we've been living through a progressive dislocation the whole time you've had this business. Why now? Why this? What's the, what's the magic? What's the fix? What's the concern? Well, first of all, we've been distributing music and putting music out since the beginning of indie pop. Through that process, a lot of the uh, in the beginning part, we would develop the act to then do a record deal with a major label, which meant we would sell our masters. After doing that a few times, we realized that that wasn't that wasn't the move. How are we going to con- how are we going to continue to build build value in ourselves, or more importantly, at that moment, build value in our artists if we're going to continue to sell the masters away? So during our last during our last sort of big deal that we did which was a joint venture with Atlantic Records you know it was great we signed our one act to the venture but through that process 
Warner Music Group was like, we, you have to move your, your catalog from your current distributor to our distributor. This is going to be a great move. And we were like, cool, you know, it's a part of the process. And as we were doing business with our partner, which was the major label, and also, also business with our distributor, we started to see something. And what we started to see was like, we're still out here on our own doing a lot of work and making a lot of moves, specifically on the distribution side. And we're still paying a distribution fee for them to just put our songs on the stores. That was it. And so we knew that our deal was up at the end of 2019. And we had a couple of really big decisions to make. One, are we going to continue with our joint venture with Warner Music Group, which, you know, the, the high-end venture has been phenomenal. There's bar none, great relationship. The distribution relationship is just a distribution relationship. So we decided to take to take the power into our own hands and then do our own direct deals with all the different DSP partners because we felt that if we could add value to artists and and we didn't have to pay this weird distribution fee just because, well, why not start our own thing? So that was that kind of, I'll let Carlo take it from here, but that's kind of what, to me, what sparked this whole next move. Because we could go, we could go to a competitor, we could go to a STEM, we could go to any of these places, but we're still doing all this work. And it just didn't feel right, kind of like what Josh said earlier on. Yeah, you know, to con- to continue on what Ben was saying, I think the the inspiration for me, and I think for all of us, was that you know we've we've operated as managers for the last twelve years and have have tried lots of different ways to take music to market. You know, we've worked with major labels, we've worked with indie labels, we've worked with kind of self service distributors, we worked with like kind of distribution plus companies, and. What we found is there's a few times where we found the synergy was really there and it made a lot of sense and it, and it worked. But the vast majority of the time, there was something left to be desired. And what we found is that as managers, that typically, no matter where you are, the, the heavy lifting and, and the, the creative burden uh, falls on the, the manager and on the artist. And so what we thought is, if we were kind of to rethink what a record label or a distribution company or a distrib- or a label services company looked like based on the world that we're living in now, what would it look like? And if we were to kind of think about as, us as managers, if we wanted to sort of create the system that we wish existed for us, what would it look like? And we realized is that the deal structure would feel like a distribution plus deal, right? Where you retain ownership of your works. You pay a distribution fee. And then on the services side, you'd get a dedicated team that really takes the time to understand the artist's story and what makes them special. And, you know, kind of builds on the kind of idea of like of storytelling to go out and tell the story to the world, whether that be, you know, curators at DSPs or whether that be to like kind of the, the greater world through creative marketing. Because the, the truth is, is that we, what we found is typically when working with a distributor, they would have all of these kind of added services, right? But it was a quantity game, right? They were trying to put as much kind of work through their pipes as possible. And so what we found is, is that though they would promise you kind of all these, all these things, the only stuff that would really get serviced is when something would float to the top, right? If you have a hit record that floats to the top, then all of a sudden their services are coming out of the woodwork and you have these people helping you. But 95% of the time, that's not how, how it works. You put a record out, it's a slow grind. You have to pitch it, you have to work it. And it will be as successful as it ends up being, but you can't only work the records that are the outliers, right? You have to, 
we have a commitment to our artists to work every record. So we thought, how do we, how do we create a system that allows us to service work we feel like really special artists deserve? And what we kind of came up with is it's, it's not terribly complicated, but it's like, we're going to provide, we're going to do an invite only, super selective, super curated distribution offering where we only work with artists that have enough going on streaming wise that it makes sense financially and who we really think are important creatively you know, both with the music and what they're creating with their brands. And, you know, we went out and started kind of talking to our peers. And what our hypothesis was, we realized that a lot of other people agreed with, which was managers and artists wanted this, right? So we did this in soft launch starting about a year ago. And then we just did our public launch a few weeks ago. And yeah, I mean, it's interesting, you know, when we when we started this thing, we went into soft launch, obviously, that was pre COVID. And on the management side, touring is a big part of that. So we've been hit really hard financially. On the streaming side, you know, the, the streaming business has been pretty untouched by COVID. In fact, certain categories are streaming more because people are at home listening to music. I think that the idea behind what we're doing is, is particularly relevant right now because we're seeing that, that music streaming is really beginning to mature. And I think that the idea of retaining ownership of your recordings is more important now than it ever is. You know, you're starting to see that that the financial community is starting to accept music streaming and streaming royalties as this kind of valuable asset class. Our hypothesis is that five, 10 years from now, it's like if you have a catalog of streaming royalties, that's like having a, a stock portfolio, right? Some people are doing that already, too. Yeah. Well, and people yeah, are doing that already. I think it's very niche right now. We think it's going to go mainstream. And so I think that the artists that now are thinking ahead and are, are build these valuable portfolios that they own are going to be able to, you know, create stability in their families' lives and, you know, potentially kind of create generational wealth or create wealth to some degree, right? And I think that that's a really important concept and we want to both spread one spread the message behind that idea and two work with select artists to to make that a a, re, a reality and and to, to, to kind of show people that there, there is an alternative, you know. Are you having to add new superpowers to what you guys can do? Or has it changed the relationship of work between you guys? Or how have you brought on this new ability set, which is, I would assume, massively digital labor intensive, etc.? How do you fit that together? The, the one thing I like to say on that is like, I kind of feel like, you know, you asked a question earlier like when we first started the business, how we separated stuff. And if we were sort of, and sometimes we were sort of ste stepping on each other. I think inherently there is these qualities that we all possess that we could all do really, really well. And I think with the formation of independent, it's allowed us to actually really even dig in, dig in on those things more and really try to like really go out and be like, you know what, we, we have to separate and we have to see what we're really, really good at. And we have to build that part of our business out. Like for me, the big part of my business and in independent is the DSP pitching and talking to the DSPs, whether it be Apple or Spotify or Tidal or Amazon and having those relationships. And, and yes, we've had to add more staff, but for sure, really dig in on what our, what our best qualities are as business owners and really build that out within the formation of independent. Yeah. And I think also, you know, I think that that music managers are the kind of people that are kind of well suited to kind of lead disruption in what's happening in music, because I think they're at like they're closest to the to the creative and the artists. And they also they often kind of have to learn how to do everything. So I've found that 
you know, being managers for the last 10 years was, uh, I think, gave us the education that we feel confident in going to what we feel like is a more kind of disruptive, sort of scalable type of business. There's definitely additional things that we have to do now. But honestly, I think that I think music management's really hard and you have to learn how to master a lot of different things. And there's a lot of really close interpersonal relationships and stuff. And I think if you get good at that, a lot of other careers in music, I find to be a little bit, you know, easier for me personally. A hundred percent. Yeah. Music management's hard. It's really hard. I think, I think people find a lot of things hard, especially right now. And we're, we're pretty much at the end of our conversation. So to wrap us up, I'm not going to ask you guys to get any crystal balls out. There's way too much uncertainty going on. But can you maybe share, maybe we'll start with Josh, on what you're really excited about right now that's not your own company. What is it that you're finding intriguing or inspirational right now? So forgive me if I'm totally off topic here. I'm having a really nice time experiencing new forms of exercise, experiencing the world in a different way than I've ever experienced it, getting outdoors, you know, going for long bike rides, getting exercise in ways that I've never had before, just circumstantially. And it's, I feel like it's re-energized me. It's created a new focus and a really new excitement for that area of my life that, and you can ask these guys, I'm like super passionate about now. So for me, it's about like a new kind of interest in the outdoors that I'm seeing from a lot of people that I know. Cool. Carlo, what about you? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that I think the last four or five months with kind of what's been going on in the world and all these and all these changes have have definitely kind of like shocked our system. And I think what has been kind of interesting for me is sort of rethinking how we spend our time on the day to day and like the physical, our physical proximity, like kind of in the earth and the people that we work with and the people that we care about. And making your decisions on who you spend time with and where you spend that time. Through this situation, we were forced to learn how to do things differently. Before, I've always gone to the office early in the morning and come to the left in the evening. And I have like a three-year-old son at home. Um, so over this, like these past six months, I've had this time with my family and I've learned how to like this work-life balance, which has been really kind of enriching for me. And I've realized that I've been able to maintain relationships with my clients and our partners and our staff and all these different people. And I've been able to spend a lot more time with my family. And it's been really rewarding and really made me like kind of rethink the the status quo when it comes to like where you spend your time on a day-to-day basis. So that's something I've been thinking about. Interesting. Yeah. Ben? For me, I have been in the music business since I was 18 years old. So that means I've been going extremely hard for... 24 years now. And and this year, I haven't been on a plane since February, which has been the longest time that I haven't been on a plane in my adult life. So for me, it's been really strange, but I've been really been being able to find peace within myself to stay still and to really dig in deeper and find out who I am and what I have to offer in the world besides our business and really cultivating a wonderful relationship with my girlfriend and also my daughter who's now 14 years old and is entering into high school 
you know, being able to be home with her like this has been absolutely phenomenal. So for me, it's just been about spending personal time with the people that I love the most. And to kind of hit on what Carlos said, like really understanding that I don't need to hop on a plane to fly all the way across the world for a meeting anymore. I can just jump on a Zoom and I can redo that. And I think that finding finding time as valuable as humanly possible and spending that spending that on myself and the people I love the most is what I've what I've learned I never knew that and I learned that over the past five months so that's what that's what I've been working on well thank you guys for sharing so much with us during this conversation if people would like to reach out to you how would how would you (laughs) like them to do that and what type of people would you like to invite to reach out to you I will talk to anybody about anything. So you can reach out about music, about just cool stuff. Where sh- where should they reach out? They could reach out on our Instagram, right, guys? Would that probably be the best place? Yeah, LinkedIn is good. I'm on LinkedIn a lot. Oh yeah, LinkedIn. So so should we have them reach out to the to the company LinkedIn page or to us personally? Either either one is fine for me. We'll have it in the show notes, so we'll we'll yeah. add that to the show notes. It'll show up. So Instagram, LinkedIn, and who would you like to reach out? People who are looking for for, but you're being curatorial. But fabulous new distribution, or I think people that have phenomenal music that want to deliver it to the world, please reach out to us, and we'll help you help you deliver that to the world. And with that note, thank you guys <laughs> for very much for being on this show. So that's the episode. Thanks for joining us at Creative Innovators with Gigi Johnson. We welcome you to subscribe on all your favorite podcasting services and come nominate um, people to be on the podcast. Come to your favorite social media where you can find us as well or come find us at creativeinnovatorspodcast.com and nominate people that you may not even know that you'd like to see on the show. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next time with Creative Innovators with Gigi Johnson. Thanks for listening to Creative Innovators. We are expanding our footprint, so we invite you to go to creativeinnovatorspodcast.com and find us on Substack, where we are creating a new matrix of our past shows that you can find them more easily and find them along with the career adventure guide content where you can take your own career and use some of the tools in the setup to both be inspired by past episodes of Creative Innovators as well as become a bigger and better creative innovator yourself. We're also launching in a couple of other platforms this year. So stay tuned and join our lists and and find out where else you can find and combine with Creative Innovators in 2024.